0: Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. Dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. Skill is already hard enough because you have to, it takes time and practice, and you want to get it instantly. Awareness, the deconstructive process that it is, that is even more difficult for us because it takes something away. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. Whatever your challenge is, awareness is usually what you need to surmount them, and meditation is one of the primary tools to develop that awareness. However, meditation is widely misunderstood and can be tragically misused. This episode is part two of the series on meditation. In the last episode, we showed how subtraction is the governing dynamic of awareness. What are the implications of this? What can we do with the discomfort related to practicing skills and the losses related to awareness? Today we go on to examine the implication of how hooked we all are on the more comfortable knowledge and skill acquisition and how we avoid awareness. The result is that, in the name of comfort, we self-sabotage in the most profound and fundamental way possible. How to avoid this? Keep listening to find out. This series is from a recent webcast that happens each week for members. For more information about how to get the help you need in conversations like this, please go to clearandopen.com. Now let's dive in. This discussion brought up the experience I've had a number of times in my life where I, I don't know if it's knowledge or awareness, became aware of something about life, about the world. And at that moment, I, I said, I thought, I can't remember what I was like before that moment. That's a great good thing to bring up. What's really interesting about that, uh, there's some neuroscience that supports that, that for some reason when you, when you learn something significant, and I, I think when it, especially when it has to do with this kind of being level, awareness level stuff, there's something that, that happens where you, you lose access to the old way of thinking of things. And it's very difficult. You kind of have to squint your whole being to remember what it was like to be that different you. That's also indicative of the loss. What have you lost? The old version of you, right? You can remember what it was like to not know that the Magna Carta was signed in 1215, right? That's easy. But remembering what it was like before you knew anything about managing people. Remember like what it was like before you had a job? Like, can you remember what you thought work was like before you had a job? Or what you thought a relationship was like before you were ever in one? <laughs> right? Like, you have to kind of squint. Yeah, like, What know. did I think relating was when I wanted to kiss a girl so badly? What, Like, what did I think that was? It's, it's really far away to find what that was. That's because it was a shift in awareness. And, and, and there's a way in which you can never go back again. But it's easy to remember um, you know when you didn't know a certain one you remember or a skill do you remember what it was like before you could ride a bike? Yeah not hard. You, know, you probably remember falling down a bunch of times. Or learning before you learned how to write script, you know, and learning that I remember that really vividly. Um, but shifts in awareness, that's one of the really interesting things and, and as a sort of a side note, it's one of the things that causes us to project because generally we assume other people think just like we do even though we've made all sorts of leaps in consciousness and shifts in being, you know, like every time I see someone smoking, I think people still smoke. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't they like what, you know, cause there was a shift in like, Oh, like, you know, there was a time where I thought smoking was cool and whatever, did it for a little while as a teenager. And then there was a shift in being, and then you automatically project, Oh, well, everybody knows that smoking is bad for you now. And, Oh, wait, no, I guess not. And we see this every day in, in politics. There's a lot of divisions in our country right now. It's completely based in awareness. It's not based in facts or knowledge, it's totally based in awareness because the facts and knowledge become a dispute. You know, there's, just, there's such a thing as an alternative fact because, or there's people think there's such a thing as an alternative fact mm-hmm. because the argument is not at the level of knowledge, it's about awareness. Certain facts won't be taken in if awareness is not open to it, okay? So we've established that the governing dynamic of knowledge is additive or constructive, the governing dynamic of skill is practice, and the governing dynamic of awareness is deconstruction or subtraction. Which are we most comfortable with? I think we're more comfortable with adding. Yes, adding knowledge. And of course, a huge part of why that is is school. School is mostly about knowledge and information and almost exclusively additive. So we're conditioned in school many, 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 many years, many, 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 many hours that the evolution of you is additive. That's how you evolve. You add stuff. When was the Madden Carter sign? I don't know. 1215. Okay, now I know. Here's a test. Then you write it in there, 1215. And then you get an A. Yay! You added something to your being. Well, really, more like your brain. But you didn't know something, now you know something. Yay, good job. And then you go out into the world and you look for more things to add. Because, you know, that's how you evolve, mostly. And along the way, there are skills too. But most adults are pretty ambivalent about skill building, right? Have you ever had the experience with a new thing where you're just really frustrated that you don't immediately get it? New piece of software a new phone, right? You're like, ah, I just, just want to get it. Well, it's not knowledge, right? It's a skill, right? And the older you get, I think the more impatient we get. I just bought a scanner. And, you know, whereas like 10 years ago, I would have like read the manual and fiddled around with it. Like, I just want, I, like, I mean, this is really the, the story in me. I unwrap, I, I want to immediately know how to use all of its features like that. Right? which is insane because operating this scanner is a skill. It's not knowledge. It's completely insane. And then here I am completely frustrated by some stuff and something that were worthy of frustration. It wouldn't connect to my wireless network like that. Required some fiddling. And I was totally frustrated by it. Largely because of the confusion between knowledge and skill. Oh, this is a skill. It's going to take some practice. But I don't want it to take practice. Yeah, too bad. That's reality. You can get as frustrated as you want that it's not knowledge. But that doesn't change the fact that you're going to have to ride the bike and fall down a bunch before you gain that skill. A lot of managers that I've worked with helping people become managers, better managers, fail and, and bail out or don't engage with me in the first place precisely because management is a skill. And they just want the answers, right? All the blogs we see, five steps to blah, 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 one secret to managing people. The, all the, do you see how that all panders to the knowledge thing? Here, look, in 300 words, this one thing that will change your life forever, knowledge, see? Here's the knowledge, here's the knowledge. You just add it to what you already know. It happens like that. And then all your problems will be solved, just like in school. And then, and then awareness is even harder because... I mean, it's a wall against it. There, there's, yes. It's not ambivalence. It's like no, I don't want to go there. Yes, exactly. That's where I'm going next. So skill is already hard enough because you have to. It takes time and practice, and you want to get it instantly. Awareness, the deconstructive process that it is, that is even more difficult for us because it takes something away. It takes something away. You want to gain awareness, you're going to lose something. You're going to lose the dream. You're going to lose an image you have of yourself. You're going to lose an idea you thought was true. You're going to lose a belief about men, women, employees, business, life, one you've held maybe your entire life. And you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. Beliefs, values, attitudes, patterns of approaching situations, things that are so us. Things that are so we're so intimate with and practiced with that we think it's a part of us. It's not, but it feels like it is. It feels like it is. I remember once um, I was walking on the the wet sand on a on a beach with both of my parents many years ago, and my mother had uh, had uh, bone spurs in her heel or oh no it was in her toe it was on her big toe. Um, and she'd had, I think she'd already had surgery on, uh, one of the toes and she was getting bone spurs on the other toe as well on the big toe. And we were walking on the beach and at a certain point, I just, I don't know why I just looked behind us and I looked at the three sets of footprints and in this, the wet sand is pretty hard. And you could see that two of the footprints, my, my footprints and my father's were pretty light, but my mother's footprints, you could tell that her big toes were digging in to the sand. They were a lot heavier. They were dug in about, you know, inch, inch and a half. And I stopped and I said, mom, this is where your bone spurs are coming from. I happen to know from some of the martial arts training that I've done that it's not an efficient use. You know, most people do this subtly and sometimes more than others to, to use horizontal friction, like as if you were wiping your shoe, to using that force to dig in and propel yourself forward. That's not how the body is designed. And many people do this unconsciously. They, they're gripping. It's like if you were to get on ice on, on, you know, in a pair of shoes and you were to get on ice, you would automatically start relating to the ground, the ice, in a completely vertical way. If you try to wipe your shoe style step forward on ice, you fall down right? because you can't get any traction. That's actually the natural way of walking. The way you're supposed to walk biodynamically is you a step, one of my teachers said, a step is a movement of the foot to accommodate a shift in the pelvis. You ever see kids when they're learning to walk, they fall forward and their feet move so that they don't fall down, right? And sometimes when kids are learning to walk, they'll fall. they're, they're, this, they're falling forward and their feet are trying to keep up and then they fall down, right? We've all seen kids do that. That's how they're learning. They fall forward with their weight and then their feet move underneath them in order to stop them from falling. That's how you're supposed to walk. That's how you're supposed to run too. Yes, for sure. A running coach will tell you that. Right, exactly. It's a waste of energy and it can create all sorts of problems in the extreme. and In martial arts, it makes you really economical and the connection to the ground. I mean, so many secrets to to many martial arts are in that purely vertical, perpendicular way of relating to the ground. You know, that trick that people do where, um, you know, like Bruce Lee's one inch punch, where he could just you know, go from there to there and send you flying across the room. How you do that is by connecting to the ground that way. It's not, it's not mystery, it's just physics. Because when, when somebody hits you like that, you're using the force of the ground, which is really powerful, rather than the force of any of your muscles. It's not, it takes about, you know, 100 hours to be able to learn. Or so, but it's not—it's not a mystery. He could do it really well, but many people can do stuff like that. So anyway, so I pointed back to the footprints and said, "Look, you're using your big toes. You're, every time you take a step, you're gripping with your big toe. This is probably where these bone Spurs are coming from. This is not how the foot is supposed to be designed. And your other big toe is starting to show signs of problems. If you just learn how to walk differently, it'll probably be okay. Well, guess what?" Yeah. She didn't believe me. She couldn't take it in. Couldn't take that knowledge in because she would have to look at how she's been walking her entire life. And Western medicine, of course, they support that. Oh, you have a bone spur. Yes, we can cut that out. Should we address the underlying problem? Well, what's the underlying problem? Sometimes bone spurs just happen. Guess what? Most surgeons don't know how to walk really well. You know, most of them don't have bike belts and really rarefied martial arts or Feldenkrais practitioners, that's a body work form. They would know about that Alexander technique. There's a lot of different models and forms that know about that, but to learn how to walk this way, you have to lose your old way of walking. Not comfortable. Takes a lot of attention. Takes a lot of practice too, but first you have to be able to take in that you've never known how to walk. Sounds like something I just read over the weekend in uh, in that book that you recommended. I think I I, I think I got the right version of it called uh, Change or Die. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's there's two versions. I picked one and hoping it was the one that you were suggesting. But anyway, so they're talking yeah. about people who uh, have a hard time, uh, you know, especially if they're making some radical changes later in their life. I think the ex- example was some ex-convicts at the Lancy Street. Uh, yeah. It's a difficult process because they have to accept the fact that they've done all this, this stuff, bad stuff through their life. And it's, it's in some ways easier to stay where doing what they've been doing yeah. and make that change because it means that contra- the stark contrast with what the negative stuff that they've done all their life. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. You, you, you lose something when you, when you change it reframes everything done before and it requires a lot of self-forgiveness in that moment. You did the best that you could. You used the information you had available at the time. But that is something that is difficult because there's there's a sense of loss there. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Be sure to visit clearandopen.com for the latest tools, articles, and free resources to help you on your journey. Thanks for listening, and bye for now.